Thank you, choir, very much. It was beautiful. I am, uh, I am as excited about Ham as you are, so I promise I won't, uh, I'll have us out of here by four at the latest. <laughs> the latest. If I'm still going at four, I'll, I'll shut her down, no matter what. It didn't really matter how often or how clearly Jesus told his followers that he was going to die or that he would rise from the grave. When everything finally happened, they either didn't remember or more likely they didn't really believe it. And to be fair, why would you believe it? When that morning first came, they had no comfort. All his followers woke up Sunday morning in complete despair. Nobody would have went to the grave with spices and ointments to help preserve the body if they would have believed what he said, that three days after he died, he would rise again. Beloved, when, when what we know collides with what we actually experience, our feelings will usually take over. And then faith gets very hard. If you've ever doubted whether this story is actually true, if you've ever hoped against hope that it was, there is resonance this morning between you and this place and them and that place. We live real lives in a very difficult and cruel world, and I know there's beauty in it also, but it is hard to live here. There's suffering and difficulty. There is pain and death. And when the reality of living here is pressing in on us in a very real way, Jesus Christ can seem so far away and so irrelevant that it's almost like he stops being real. We need more than just words on a page to agree with mentally. We need something more. Over against all that assaults our souls, all the things that cause us to doubt, that make us cynical, the fact still remains that we live on this side of the resurrection. And our exalted king is not far away. He is real. He's real. Let's pray together. Father of the Lord Most High, may your Son speak through his word to us in this place on this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit. May the grace and peace this moment was meant to give to us abide with us as we listen to you. Open the eyes of our hearts, God. Let all of us see the risen Christ. Father, help me preach. I can do nothing without your Son. Nothing. So I ask all of this in his name and for his name. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to stand with me as I read from John chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, the writer of this gospel, And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, 
and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. That's its own sermon. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. You can be seated. So the first person to appear very early before sunrise was Mary Magdalene. She was one of the women that stood alongside Jesus' his mother and watched while he was crucified. In Mark and Luke's gospel, they remind us that this is a woman that Jesus had rescued from being possessed by seven demons at the same time. She came to the tomb of the man that had given her her life back. He was dead. But when she comes, she finds that the stone had been rolled away from in front of the tomb. And she doesn't instantaneously remember that Jesus had promised he would rise again and start jumping up and down and celebrating because it's all true. People don't rise from the dead. It's a nice idea. It would be wonderful if it would have been true. But she saw him die. So she runs away. She runs to where his two closest disciples were, Peter and John, tells them what she saw. She thought he'd been taken. She assumed his body was stolen, probably by the Jewish leaders or the Romans. And she said, we we don't know where they've taken him. We don't know where they've laid him. So in verses 3 to 5, Peter and John race off to the tomb. Eventually, they both look inside and see the empty tomb and the crumpled up grave clothes lying there, the folded face cloth. When Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, if you remember, he came out still wrapped in his grave clothes. Not Jesus. Lazarus would die again. He would be raised up once more to live forever on the last day. But Jesus Christ, he's the firstborn of a new creation that morning. And the citizens of that world, they don't ever die. Peter and John didn't understand the words Jesus had spoken to them. When when it says they believed, what it means is they believed that what Mary had said, that his body was gone. They didn't understand the words Jesus had spoken to them. So in verse 10, they just go back home. If you take all the individual accounts together, it forms this composite of the whole scene that morning. Mary Magdalene went first with at least one other woman very early. They see the stone rolled away. She runs back to Peter and John. She follows them back alone as fast as she could. She lingers there. And when they leave, she's there alone. And now this scene takes place. Let me read verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in to the tomb. She stayed. Now if you can, imagine this woman there totally alone weeping, making her way up to the tomb, putting her hand maybe on the edge of the opening and peeking in to see through her tears and her sobs and then seeing something that Peter and John did not see. Look at verses 12 and 13. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at his head, one at his feet. That's a beautiful picture, by the way, of the true mercy seat. But John's focus is on the depth 
of her grief. And instead of the usual things that angels have to say when they appear to people, do not be afraid, they don't say that. Instead, this time, it's a question. Why are you weeping? She responds, my Lord has been taken away and I don't know what's been done with him. Do you hear what she's saying? He was my Lord, he was mine, and they took him away. He belonged to me and they stole him. Look at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. She sees a man standing there. She feels somebody behind her. She turns around. Jesus has been alone in this garden all by himself before all this happened. I love to think of him maybe walking through it in the dark with resurrection life in him. New hands still with the scars running across flowers and plants. New feet feeling the dew, knowing that he had won. Knowing it. That it was truly finished. It was done in those quiet hours before the sun came up. This is the turning point of human history, beloved. This is it. The new creation invaded the old. It was living and breathing in a new Adam, in another garden. After God breathed life into his lungs, like he had breathed into the old Adam, the first Adam, at the beginning of this creation. But this quiet little moment sees an obedient Adam in another garden, and rather than bringing a curse on all humanity, this Adam is the hope of all humanity of the whole universe. Jesus Christ had come back from the dead. The curse had been conquered. All of that is happening. But don't miss this moment. This resurrected Son of God. This is who He is. Glorified, victorious, literal, and new. Shows Himself as that for the first time to one broken and weeping woman in a garden cemetery who wasn't even a central character in, in the story. Where was Jesus in his first resurrected hours? Floating over Jerusalem with a bullhorn. I told all of you. Right, Annas, Caiaphas, are you guys awake? You're in trouble. I told you. Right, there's none of that. None of that. He's not scolding his disciples for not believing before he appeared to anyone else in all creation anyone else he appeared to a woman who just loved him and wept because she thought he was gone to just another sinner who had been in bondage that he had set free it was just Mary Magdalene and and I don't know maybe you know this but in, in this time in this culture it wasn't right, but it was the way that it was. The, the, the testimony of a woman was not even admissible in court. Right? I, I know that's awful, but that's the way that it was. So if you were trying to tell a story to verify that this Savior you worship really had risen from the dead, the only reason you include the detail that the first people he appeared to, the first person was a woman, you know why you would do that? The only reason you would ever do that is if it was the truth. If that's what really happened, and it is what really happened, 
Doesn't Jesus have more important things to do than this? No, actually. Apparently not. The good shepherd heard one of his sheep crying in a garden. That sound drew the firstborn of the new creation back to the tomb. She needed him first. Right now she needed him most. So he came to her. Beloved Jesus Christ in his risen and vindicated state as the Son of the living God, the King and the Lord of all creation, is as tender and sympathetic to one who needs Him as He was when He walked among us healing the sick and comforting the broken. And this is who He is this morning for you and I right now. We think of Him in such marvelous, exalted, ultimate terms, and we should because all those things are true about Him. But he forever will be the one also who will not break a bruised reed. And when his sheep are bleeding for comfort, he still comes near. It's true. It's all true. It's always been true. The risen and exalted Christ still comes near in the darkness and in the silence of cruel mornings. Easter doesn't just mean that Jesus wins. It means that he will never be far away from us. And we need to know this. Because we're almost afraid sometimes, I think, to need him. Like our voice is just too low for him to stoop. How does he single us out? But Easter morning proves the King of Kings does precisely that. That he bends his ear when there's just one alone. It's no minor detail that we know his first appearance was to a weeping woman alone in the garden. Yes, he is the exalted one. He is very God of very God. But he is also human like us now. And he knows how to care for the broken. That's also who Jesus is. And his glorious position above all earthly powers and schemes and authorities does not cancel out the depth of of His love and affection that He has for every single one of His sheep that He knows by name. He knows our weaknesses. He remembers that we came from the dust and His rod and His staff. They still comfort us there. And when we are overwhelmed, as we should be, by His glory, like John, the author of this Gospel was, on the Isle of Patmos, by the revelation of this exalted Jesus Christ, He still lays His hand on us as He did Him to say, do not be afraid. How precious it is for us that God didn't just resurrect Him. you ever think about this? He didn't just resurrect Him, take Him back to heaven and leave a note. There was a 40-day period between His resurrection and His ascension back to the Father, exclusively so He could just be with His disciples. No public appearances, just His little pack of sheep, so that He might eat with them. Those are the priorities of Jesus resurrected. We make sure I eat with my disciples to talk to them, to say things like peace to you, to them. He stayed, Jesus stayed 
to help us make the transition between Jesus on earth and Jesus exalted in heaven. And the point was to know that the one who is exalted is still our very own shepherd and savior. He still breaks bread with us. He still cares for us. He's not just the exalted king. He's our loving savior who draws near to comfort our hearts in the midst of this world. That is just as true about him in his glorious reign as it was in his incarnation. He's God to be worshipped above all. Make no mistake, but he is also our friend. He is also our shepherd. He isn't just filled with cosmic majesty. He's filled with love for his people. And as both of those things, he speaks to her. She can't even recognize him. In verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She thinks he's the gardener, and I I don't think she's being kept from recognizing him here. I, I think she's so beside herself with grief. Have you have you ever cried so hard you couldn't see straight? They did that in the Bible too. Human beings have always done that. And Jesus is there when human beings do that. But her question opens the door for Jesus to make himself known to her in the most precious and personal way possible. Look at the first part of verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. He said her name. He said her name, Mary. And in that moment, she focused. She saw through her tears, heard the voice that once commanded the demons inside of her to get out. She didn't just hear a voice then. She heard the voice that knew her like no other. She heard the voice of her shepherd that calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Look at the middle of 16. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She cries out this word, Rabboni. Notice this. John leaves it in the original Aramaic for us. Why does he do that? He wanted us to know that just translating it here as teacher wouldn't quite cut it for what this moment means. He wanted us to hear it like she said it. He wanted us to be there. You know, like when you imitate a baby to somebody else or imitate something that a a little child has said that sounds funny. When you are telling that story, you imitate it exactly how you heard it because you want the person to be able to hear the little kid saying it. It makes it all the more rich. Right? That's, that's precisely what John is doing in John chapter 20. When he said her name, her world completely changed. She went in one moment, not because she saw Jesus sitting on a throne, but because he knew her name. She went in one moment from hopelessness because she thought he was gone to peace. Because he, she knew that he was there. When Jesus said Mary, resurrection morning became personal. That's why John wanted it left as Rabboni. That was what she called him when she walked with him and talked with him. That was how she said it. He wants us to hear it, how she said it, untranslated. 
all that Jesus was as her Rabboni, as her teacher, she remembered in this moment. And notice she wants to reach out now and grab him and never let go. And you get verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. You see that? You'll cling when I go to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, My brothers that all forsook me and fled the other night. My brothers. And say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Now at first glance, it looks impersonal, doesn't it? Don't, wait, wait, wait. Like, like he's, he's backing away from her. Don't. But it would be a grave mistake for us to think his purpose in saying this, don't cling to me, was to give some kind of restriction that will now dominate the relationship between Jesus and his people. Some distance now. It was anything but that. Jesus had told his disciples back in John 16 that it was actually to their advantage. It would be better for them if he goes away because then he would send the Holy Spirit. So do you know what he's telling her in this moment? Mary, I know... I know it may seem like having me here to hold on to would be the epitome of closeness between us. Why wouldn't we think that? I know that seeing me here with you would make you think that this is as close as it can get, but I have something better for you. I have something to give to you that will make us even closer than physical proximity. I have to ascend back to my Father. He's telling her, when I ascend, when that happens, I will send my spirit and you will know something greater than what you could have known if I stay here. Don't cling to me doesn't mean you can't touch me. Don't cling to me now means I have something better than this for us. Don't settle for this. Let me send my spirit to you, which also means, beloved, that this moment is a gift to you and I who believe and any who will believe, because it applies to every single believer in history this moment. It is not a withholding. Once he ascends back to the Father, all the restrictions will finally be removed. It's like when he said to his disciples, you will see me because I go to the Father. Jesus is seen by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not seen now with the eyes. Not yet. Something so much deeper than that. You see, Jesus gives us a relationship deeper than anything we can experience between two humans, even in a marriage. There is a seeing and a hearing and a touching that is made possible only by His ascent into heaven. Only by His place of victory from which He sent His Holy Spirit. We didn't have to be there that morning to partake of what Mary Magdalene had. This text is for you and I as much as this moment was for her. This little moment on resurrection morning reads almost like a movie. Has all the significance in the world for you and I. Struggling believer. We want to cling to Jesus with our hands, don't we? We do. I do. Feels like it would make things so much easier. We want to see Him with our eyes. 
We want to reach out, grab him, make him stay. Right? You, you ever been praying and have just yelled out, where are you? I need to see. I need to feel. Or I'm going to quit. I can't hold on. I'm going to walk away if you don't show up. And yet he still says to us, no, 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 don't, don't cling to me with your hands. Trust me. I told you I am with you and I am and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Believer, be at peace. And that voice that inside of you that won't let you walk away from the faith entirely, just won't let you do it, right? That voice that just won't let you cash in all your chips on the Jesus thing, even when it seems like that's what you want to do. Beloved, where do you think that voice is coming from? It comes from heaven. It comes from the right hand of God the Father. You cling to that voice. You cling to it. That's the voice of your Savior calling out your name. Jesus wanted us to see this moment in His Word. It wasn't until this moment that He talked like this about His disciples. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I'm going to our house. He wants us to know that He's one with us. Jesus bought our adoption into the family of God. We have a seat at the table now. You see, on Friday, Jesus Christ paid our debt. On Sunday morning, the check cleared, and it's finished. This is what His work accomplished for all who believe on Him. God did not take Him away from us. He gave Him to us in a more profound way than would have ever been possible if He wouldn't have ascended back to His Father. Could you imagine the difference in this story if He just would have gotten old and died again? Okay, so is it real this time? Like, what happens now? There's a statue we could go visit or a memorial? No, believer, God is your Father. He is your God. We were His enemies. And through His death, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, He has brought us inside His house and seated us in a place of honor at His own table. When you draw near, are you still thinking like a hired hand or a worker when in fact you are one of His own dear children? If you ask me, I, I say this to my kids all the time, you're my favorite Carmine. You're my favorite Gianna. Right? You're my favorite Sophia. You're my favorite Bella. And I mean it. I can cling to a million things with my hands, right? I can only cling to Jesus with my soul. And if Jesus said that was better, if Jesus, if it's Jesus that said that's enough, then the essence of being a Christian is not a list of do's and don'ts. 
It is an issue of whether or not I will just believe him and take him at his word. That's the real issue. So turn your eyes to heaven this morning, believer, where your life is hidden with Christ in God. And remember another morning, one that is yet to come. When is the old preacher... I love Gerhardus Voss says that morning when all the redeemed will see him face to face and speak the last great Rabboni when we meet our Savior in the early dawn of the eternal Sabbath rest of the people of God. And for those of us here this morning still rejecting him, I don't have any threats or ultimatums. Just know this one thing. Jesus Christ died to save sinners like me, to redeem the broken like me. And this glorious Jesus is right now as accessible to you as he is to anyone else in this room or on this planet. And not as a memorial, as a real, bona fide, living person who happens to be presently seated at the literal right hand of God the Father and who comes close to those who need Him. June is going to come. We'll sing a last song together. I'll be here down front if anyone needs to come and pray for any reason. We pray for us now. Father, your Son is the answer. But Lord, we don't always know the questions. And so, Father, I pray that this very same Jesus that spoke to Mary Magdalene that morning so long ago would call out names again. The struggling believer, worn down, weary, broken, for who knows whatever reason, it's real to them. So Father, come close to every single one. The doubting believer, the one lacking assurance because they measure their standing in you by their performance. Father, let them know it's finished. The debt's been paid. You aren't keeping score. What makes the difference now is what one believes about Jesus, and that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing. And Father, for those with us this morning that don't know your Son like this, Oh God, raise them from the dead. Bring them to life. Let them know we're not asking anybody to join a club or to join rules, but to know a person, the only person who can redeem us from the curse of this world. And if we would repent of our sins, 
Not because you're grouchy, but because you're holy. And confess that your son is the truth and is alive. They will be saved completely and forever. Thank you for your son who is exalted and close. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. so much for being here this morning everybody i hope you have a wonderful easter please give the choir one more round of applause for their music this morning let me pray and we'll be dismissed all right father we thank you and we praise you for this day the day that you have made the long day that will never end through your son jesus christ so father be with us as we go i pray that everyone this afternoon would enjoy a wonderful time with their family with friends Lord, may you be...